We're going to jump into John. And uh, man, it's, it's encouraging to me because every week uh, that we go to the Word of God, it's, it's life-giving to me. I'm, I'm learning new things every week, and I'm, I'm encouraged in the Lord. And, uh, and so sometimes I stand before you, my body's tired, I'm worn out, but I'm refreshed in the, in the Word. And so I'm encouraged by that. Um, I want to draw your attention last week. Um, we opened up and we introduced the idea that, that the book was written that you may believe and that you may have life. By believing, you may have life. And that's directly from the verse, chapter 20, verse 31 says, these are written. In other words, this story was compiled so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so if you're a, a note taker, I hope that you have highlighted that verse because you will see that as a theme consistently through the word of God. And it's going to continue today as we dive into the second part of chapter one. Um, last week, we mentioned that um, uh, six different areas of who God is and how he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so this is, this is, Jesus is the eternal God. He's not just a, a God that came into existence 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always been God. And it says, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It means from the very beginning of time, he has always existed before time ever happened. And nobody can be God unless, or nobody can be equal to God unless they are God. He is God. And so that, that struggle, sometimes we struggle to think of him as eternal, uh, or at, at, as eternity past, he has always existed and so we looked at a, a second thing, that Jesus is the powerful creator. Again, sometimes we, uh, we think of him not in this light. It says that all things were made through him, through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was created out of nothing and it was through Jesus that everything has been created. Sometimes we struggle. We mentioned last week, this is how we see Jesus. We see him in a manger. We see him uh, performing miracles and just the power of God displayed in human flesh. This was Jesus. And, and you see him on a cross that you know it's the son of God dying on a cross. We know the verses that talk about Jesus in the cross. But it's hard for us to fathom that that same Jesus has always been and that God, God created all things. It says through him. And so we turn the page in uh, chapter, or verse four, it says Jesus is everlasting life. He doesn't just give everlasting life. He is, he is life. In him was life. And life is the light of men, as that verse says. And uh, it, it's this, this, what God intended life to be in Adam is displayed in Christ, the second Adam. And then verse four, five through nine, Jesus is truth revealed. Truth revealed, it talks about light. He is the true light, which gives light to everyone. That's not universal salvation, Right? Right? It's the fact that the light has turned on and you can see what it is for what it is. If a criminal breaks into your house, I didn't get to put this picture up last week to, to creep you out. It's just a weird picture. But if a criminal walks in your house, you flip on a light and a criminal hates the light and you love the light, right? You, everybody has a different perspective, but what light does is it shines on what is actually happening. And so that's what he's saying. It's, the blessing is light has come to all people. It gives light to everyone. You see it like it really is. 
And so we showed forth that he's a personal savior. It says that, that uh, gives us the power or the right to be called sons of God. And I love this verse. When we're talking about being born again, it's just, it was just displayed right here. I, you were not born again, not by blood. Ellie is not gonna be born again because Ethan and Mallory are born again. That's not how, you're not born into a church family so you're saved, right? Uh, nor by the flesh. It's not some impulse that, you know what, I think I'm going to quit running. I'm just going to try this Jesus thing out. That's not being born again. And again, it's not by the will of man. No matter how badly Ethan and Mallory want Ellie to follow Jesus, we are powerless that a person is born again of God. God is the one that draws us into relationship. And so, but he's a, he's a personal savior um, and he's the incarnate Christ. Last week, we, I just briefly, in an elementary way, opened up the idea of incarnate. Um, incarnate meaning that God in bodily form and Christ meaning the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. And so uh, we walk through that, the verse 14, the word, it, the word wasn't born into flesh. The word Jesus became flesh. He didn't start existing when he came into this world. He became flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw the glory of God when we looked at Jesus. And so last week we finished off by, by challenging, because these are facts about Jesus that probably everybody would say, yeah, I agree with that. But knowing facts about Jesus and expressing feelings towards Jesus does not equate to having faith in Jesus. You must be born again of God. I, I had a privilege of sitting with uh, a student that after last week's message was stirred in his heart, am, am I born again? Stirred with these questions like, th these are good questions to ask. I heard somebody say that, uh, said, quit, quit worrying, quit thinking about it. Qu quit wrestling. Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you are doing works so that you can be saved. It means you're wrestling and the, the greatest assurance, and I did not share this last week, when you look at Romans chapter eight, I believe it's verse 14, the greatest assurance is when the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So that, that takes the pressure off me. It's not my job as a pastor to tell you that you're lost or that you are saved. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I don't know your heart. So just drawing you to, man, we, we need to embrace the living Jesus and be born again. And so we turn the page. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to look to the Lamb this morning. Um, this is, just, you could take John chapter 1 and slow it down and spread it out over months. It's just so, so rich. And, uh, and so we're going to finish out chapter 1 today. Um, but again, I, I broke it down. I didn't want to leave this theme of, of showing forth who Jesus is um, through the remainder of this chapter. So I'm going to show you five more things from this passage of how Jesus is portrayed. He's described to us in the words of men. And so we're going to look to the Lamb. If you have those scripture journals, by the way, those are, those are a blessing, aren't they? Just kind of process through and write down your thoughts. Um, I believe, I'm not sure if they're going to be available today, but if you need one, please call the office and say, hey, set, set aside a scripture journal uh, for note-taking. But uh, we're going to jump right in, verse 19. Uh, I, I want to give a disclaimer before we go any further, that we're going to read the witness, the testimony of a real man who exists somewhere now. All these characters and story. this is not a fairy tale storybook 
of days past. Uh, We're talking about a real Jesus that is alive and active in this room. Jesus is alive. We're not, this is not a book talking about dead gods that have passed along and we're just going through this formality of religion, talking about something. He is alive. He's here. So we should not talk about Jesus in factual form as if he's not in the room. We read the testimonies of these men, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, who's right. These men exist now in heaven. They're they're not dead and gone and past. They are somewhere. And, And I cannot, before we go into this, the finish out chapter one, I cannot stress it enough that sometimes we look at the word as if it's something past. These people exist. These people that we're going to read about are eternal. You are eternal. You will be eternally someplace. And so as we walk through this passage together, um, think of this not as a fairy tale or a story or even a textbook. This is a living book that talks about a living Savior. All right? Uh, Verse 1 or verse 19 and this is the testimony of John. From last week, who are we talking about here? John the Baptist. Why are we talking about John the Baptist? Because the writer, the apostle John, never refers to himself as John in the whole book. He calls himself the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's saying that as a way of identifying with Christ, not as a way of being arrogant, like, yeah, me and Jesus are tight. Right? He's, he's identifying him. So this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? They, they didn't know. He confessed I did, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist is not the Christ. Who's this crazy man in the wilderness baptizing people with water? It's not the Christ. He says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Do you remember Elijah's the one that's preparing the way of Jesus to rule on this earth? That's coming. So he must be Elijah. He's preparing for Jesus to reign on this earth. He said, I am not. And he says, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? That's referring to Deuteronomy 18, that there's coming a prophet like Moses. And so they said, are, are you the prophet like the Moses that we followed back in the day? You know who this prophet is, by the way? That's Jesus. So in essence, they're saying, are you that prophet that was promised in Deuteronomy That prophet is Jesus. He said, I am not. Then verse 22, so they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say for yourself or about yourself? And he said, I am the voice crying out of one, crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, do you ever, a lot of times we read through the New Testament and we glaze over the prophet Isaiah said, right? We just assume the prophet Isaiah said it because it says it in John, right? So I, you do a little digging into what he's talking about. As the prophet Isaiah said, because it says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way. This is the verse he's referring to. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, a voice cries, and there's, a, there's something different, just a subtle thing different about how Isaiah says it. Can you just look for yourself? A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way. John says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way. In other words, John's saying, I'm out in the wilderness and I'm crying out, make straight the way. Isaiah, 
40, verse 3 says, a voice is crying, in the wilderness, prepare the way. Make straight the paths. I wrestled with this this week because it seems like it says two different things, but the powerful thing, what it's saying, the wilderness represents a crooked path. The nation of Israel, do you remember what the wilderness represented? Walking in circles and getting nowhere. Walking every day, 40 years of walking and never walking straight. And then something happens when they cross the Jordan River. They go straight from victory to victory to victory. They had a defeat in there too. But the picture is the wilderness represents a crooked path. The wilderness is this crooked thing. And then when you make straight, it's this moment of repentance and dependence and faith. And that is what makes a straight path. Faith. I wrestled, by the way, my life verse, I've used, the Lord has really made it real to me a number of times, but specifically while I was in college. Uh, You know this verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, right? We're depending on the Lord. What's the second verse? By the way, I have it memorized in King James. I say it every week. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and King James says, he shall direct your path, right? He will make straight your paths. You trust him, you walk in dependence with Christ, he will make straight your paths. It's a picture of faith. When when Isaiah is saying, in the wilderness, prepare the way, make straight the paths, he's saying, when you're in the wilderness, Make straight the paths. So it's so powerful now to see John, who is out in the actual wilderness, crying out, make straight your paths. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to faith. I, I, I know uh, college years are one of the most polarizing seasons, and I'll clarify. A lot of times when you step out of the comfort or the the accountability of your home, I call it the umbrella of your parents' faith, then you really start to see what, what the faith of that student looks like. like. Really, when you have nothing holding you back, what does faith look like? And, and ironically, I, I know I, the college years is, has a, a tendency to be a circle or a wilderness journey, that you're doing a lot of things, getting nowhere, and a lot of people come out of their college years and say, man, I'm sick and tired of wasting my life. I want my path to be straight. I want to walk in a way that's worth it. And they, they come to a point of repentance, walk by faith. I'll say this, even I went to a Christian school. Uh, when I went to school, I didn't have a heart for the things of God. It's not that I was living like a crazy party life, I didn't have a heart for the things of God. And it was during those years that God was pursuing my heart. It was during my college years that God called me into ministry. I had, I'm not just saying, I had no desire to serve the Lord with my life in ministry. Literally didn't want to do it. And it was during that year that those years, those college years, that God made straight my path and gave me a passion for something that is eternal. That I don't want to, I don't want to invest my life in things that are temporal. I want to invest it in something that's permanent, internal. And so just during the, 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 the college days, I, I feel this burden as college students are heading back. Some college students are going. You're going to be among people that aren't walking the straight path. They are not walking by faith. Be careful for yourselves. Verse 24. Now they had they'd been sent by the Pharisees. They were coming to find out who John was. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? In other words, since you have no official title, what gives you the authority to come out here and baptize Jews? That's what they're saying. Who are you? 
You have no authority to come out here and baptize Jews because baptizing Jews, it's, it's, a, it's contrary to what the purpose of baptism. Baptism was for Gentiles who were outside of the covenant family. When they were proselytized, it was a ceremonial thing where they were baptized into the covenant. So why are you baptizing Jews? Because he's saying just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you're a part of covenant Jew, that you must come by faith. That's powerful. That's what he says, verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. You don't recognize him. Says verse 29, even he who comes after me, this is somebody so important that I'm not willing or I'm not, I'm not worthy to loosen the straps of his feet. I'm not worthy to clean his feet as a servant or a slave. That's the, that's the one I'm coming. I'm sent from God to prepare the way for this one that has an authority and title that is so much greater than anything we could call a title. He's not even, slaves are not worthy to loosen his shoes. But these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan River? What happened in the nation of Israel? They're walking the crooked path in the wilderness and they come to the edge of the Jordan River and they cross into the promised land. This is where you can't make this stuff up. This is how magnificent the story of God, how much unity and how much fulfillment is in John the Baptist and Jesus and all these, this is all pointing to Jesus. But at the same Jordan, do you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, they crossed over and Joshua took 12 stones and set them up where? In the river, in the riverbed. He set up 12 stones inside the river while the river was separated. They walked across and they gathered 12 stones out of the river and put it in the promised land. So what he did was he exchanged rocks that were on the promised land to be placed in the river and that the rocks from the river were placed in this land of victory. It's a picture of this powerful exchange and it all happened right there at the Jordan River. So John is saying, make straight the paths for this one man that has come. That one man is the Lamb of God. Uh, this first area, there's five areas if you're taking notes. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Uh, verse 20, 29. The next day, he saw Jesus. John the Baptist looked up and saw Jesus coming toward him. He didn't say, hey, cousin, right? They're cousins. Elizabeth and Mary, they're cousins. He didn't say, hey, cousin. He said, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the Lamb that by his death is going to take away once and for all all the sin of the world. Now, let me bring significance to this. Uh, if, you are, if you are somehow in New York and you yell out, take me home. Take me home. You're a weirdo. What are you talking about? Take me home why? If you go to WV, uh, the state of West Virginia, and you yell, take me home, you say, hey, country road. What happened? In a crowd of people, people start all of a sudden singing John Denver. Right? Because it means something to you. You go to New York, they're like, you're a weirdo. What's that mean? But you say, take me home, or you say, country roads, everybody knows what you're talking about in West Virginia. Right? I'm sorry, this pains my heart. You go to a crowd in Texas, and you say, OH! Nobody's going to say anything in Texas. <laughs> O-H-N-O. I, I don't know. Like, what do you do when you hear somebody yell O-H? Well, when you go to Columbus, anywhere in the city of Columbus, the most God-forsaken place in this earth. 
You go anywhere in Columbus and you, you could be at a gas station at 2 in the morning and you yell out, O-H! Oh, and a bunch of drunk people yell out, I-O! They all know how to spell the state. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're from Ohio. <laughs> When John the Baptist says, that's the Lamb of God, he's the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist said that, everybody knew what he's talking about. Because it's such a part of their culture that you gather the best, the spotless lamb and present it on an altar sacrifice before the Lord to atone for your sins and you do this continually, habitually, year in and year out. This is how you're made right in a covenant relationship with God that you're presenting the spotless lamb. When he said, this is the spotless lamb, this is the lamb of God that's going to take away all the sin of the world. They knew how significant that statement was because of their context. By the way, if he was not spotless, we'd yet be in our sins. It took a perfect sacrifice of a perfect lamb on the cross to cover our sins. Verse 30. This is he whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks before me. He's a higher rank because he was before me. They know enough to know that John the Baptist was born a couple months after Jesus. They're aware of when people are born. Like, and he's saying, Jesus was before me. He's saying, I thought that was going dead. You can hear me now. How long was this? I hate it for the online people. Um, listen, he's saying, because he was before me. He's saying he's eternal. He was before me, even though I was born as a human being into this earth a couple months before Jesus, he's saying he's before me. He's saying he's eternal. It says, verse 31, I myself did not know him. I, I didn't see him as the Messiah is what he's saying. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed publicly to Israel. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. Isn't that powerful, though? The picture of the Lamb of God. So Jesus is the Son of God. Um, if you came last Sunday night, it was, it was a kind of a refreshing study as you dive into, there's nine mentions of the word Son of God in the book of John, and every one, it feels like the intensity turns up every time he's mentioned as the Son of God. It's a hostile statement. You declare him as the Son of God, you're saying something. Verse 32, it says it, and John bore witness. He gave further evidence. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. The Holy Spirit wasn't a dove. He came like a dove. I just want to say that out loud, but he's a representative of the Holy Spirit. And it remained on him. I myself did not know him as Messiah, but he who sent me, to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So God let John the Baptist know ahead of time that, that this man is gonna come and the Holy Spirit is gonna descend on him like a dove and he's gonna remain. He's gonna stay with him. And that's how you're gonna know that's the Messiah. So one day he's baptizing Jesus and all this happens and he's testifying to the people, this is the son of God. And I, I have seen and I've borne witness with my own eyes that this is the son of God. Uh, when you hear the word son of God, do you think of Jesus as being like God's son? Like I was born from Jeff and Debbie Estes um, and I came into existence because of their union. And I won't go into that this morning, but I came into existence. I became a human being and became an eternal being when I was born into this world. 
When you speak of Jesus as the Son of God, this it's not a picture of Jesus coming alive, becoming an eternal being. It's it's this idea Jesus who's who was born of a virgin, whose father was God, he came, he became man, he became flesh. There's been nobody like him ever. This is not a picture. This is not just God's son. It is the son that is God. Does that make sense? It's hard to describe and explain. This is so massive because a lot of people say, how is Jesus God if he's God's son? Have you had those discussions before? How is Jesus God if we call him God's son, because isn't God and then his son is not God? That's because we think in terms of man, right? So many people say, uh, how does calling Jesus the son of God point to the fact that he is deity, he is God? You're saying that he's not a son of Joseph. You're saying that he was born of a virgin. He is God in flesh. And so Jesus as the son of God, man, there's so much there. I, last Sunday, we did a whole night on the son of God, and, uh, I, but I'm gonna keep rolling. Um, Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Messiah or the Christ. Um, we mentioned last week, verse 20, 35 says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. These were John's followers who were learning, walking with John and learning every day. He was their rabbi. And he looked at Jesus as he was walking by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Look, that's the Lamb of God. He's constantly saying, not I, but Christ. It's him. It's, I'm nothing. It's all him. Let me pause too. May it be said of every teacher, every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, every Awana leader, every, uh, every member of the pit crew, that every word that comes out of our mouth as we're preaching isn't, hey, follow me, but may it be about following Christ. Everything that we say and everything we do pointing to, to our, our followers or the people that are with us, maybe they're in your Sunday school class, they're not following you. They shouldn't be following you. They should be following Christ, right? right? A lot of times we latch on and it's, it's healthy to walk with people who are feeding you, but it's not about the man. Jesus said that this is the greatest man, John the Baptist, and it's not about the greatest man. The greatest man was saying, it's all about Jesus. So whatever that looks like in your life, I don't know how you're involved with teaching, plugged into this church, may it be all about Jesus. May people, as they follow your leadership, be following Jesus. In verse 37, the two disciples, they heard him say this, and what did they do? They followed Jesus. They didn't follow John the Baptist. They followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them and following and, and said to them, what are you seeking? Are you looking for the political leader? Are you looking for an ant? Like, who do you think I am is what he's really saying. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying We'd love to come and sit. We want to learn from you. And Jesus said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. They stayed, there's this idea of staying all through John, uh, connects to the idea of abiding, abiding with him, abiding in him. They were staying and, and learning from him. Verse 39, or verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak, and as a result, he followed Jesus, was Simon, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
And he found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is Christ. We found him. The one that's been promised for years and years. I found him. He's here. It's, it's, he's really saying when he says, we've found the Messiah, it's the one that was promised all through the Old Testament. Everything, every book of the, New, or the Old Testament pointing to this person that's going to come and fulfill. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that all this, they're looking, all of Israel, and by the way, many Jews to this day are still looking for a Messiah to come and set up rule on this earth. He's going to, but they missed him the first time. That Messiah came and he saw him. He said, we have found the Messiah. And Messiah too, I mentioned this uh, last week, it's the idea of anointing. You anoint a king, you anoint a prophet, and you anoint a priest in Hebrew culture. What we're saying here, when you say Messiah, we're saying the prophet, priest, and king is here. The one we've been looking for in all these Old Testament pictures is fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 42, and he brought him, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is Greek. He's saying, you are a little rock. That's significant, I'm not gonna touch that here. We might leave some meat on the bone for tonight. But Jesus is the king of Israel. If he's anointed, if he's the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus is the king of Israel. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. He's saying, as a disciple. He's not just saying, follow me on Twitter. Right? We have a skewed idea of what following means. Follow me is like, I'm going to pick up my life, leave it behind, and follow your life and learn how you do things. I love the book. If you've seen this, by the way, one of the best books to paint the Hebrew picture of what discipleship looks like. Um, I, I might have a copy if you want to borrow one. I don't have 500 copies. I have a couple copies. But this is worth it. Rediscovering Discipleship by Robbie Gallaty is very powerful at painting the picture of what in culture it looks like as a, as a Hebrew to be a disciple. But there's another book, Not a Fan, um, by Kyle Eidelman. And in this book, he's pushing this idea that our churches are full of people that are cheering for this Jesus, that have never laid down their life and followed him. I love this quote, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. You would say, I'm a Christian. Everybody knows I'm a Christian, but the only reason they know it is because you say it sometimes. There's no evidence that you're following Christ. They want to be close enough to get Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Following Jesus is laying down your life and following, picking up his life, his kingdom. And so, by the way, a lot of times fans... You go to a football, team, football game, and a fan is the biggest critic. I've been to a lot of Marshall games through the years. The fan is the biggest critic. Well, my goodness, that offensive coordinator keeps running the run play right up the middle, and they get one yard of carry. Fans grumble. Fans contribute nothing to victory. You get what I'm saying? Fans contribute nothing. They always have something to say, but they never contribute to victory. Martial football. You've never played a play on the field in your life, but you got a lot to say about them, right? Jesus called us to participate in his kingdom, not stand on the stands and critique the kingdom. 
verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. These are all hometown boys. And they found this Jesus. And Philip found Nathanael and said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Legally, he's the son of Joseph. Like, it's that guy. You remember Joseph's son? Jesus of Nazareth? He's the one that the prophets said the Messiah, the the person that is coming, the king of Israel, he's going to rule and reign, and the prophets have spoken of this. He's the one. Listen to what he says, verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's a pretty sharp term, by the way. If you're from Wayne, I'm sorry, Wayne, West Virginia, can anything good come out of Wayne? (laughs) Casey Moore back there, she's like, what? Yes, of course. Jesus came out of Nazareth. He's like, he's very blunt and forward. Philip said to him, come and see. He didn't say, yes, yeah, of course something good can come out of Nazareth. He didn't try to describe, like explain it to him, right? He said, come and see. You see for yourself. And as Nathaniel was coming, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Deceit, when they hear the word deceit, they think Jacob, the great deceiver. He's very deceptive. He twisted things. You remember the, he, something that happened with his brother, Jacob and Esau? He got the birthright by deceiving. He's saying, this is an Israelite who's not at all like Jacob. There's no deceit in him. He really wants to know what is true. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. (laughs) Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the, this is the second mention of the son of God. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You are king. Israel's looking for a political leader. To, to bring their country back into rule, like zealots in, in Hebrew culture were doing everything they could to reject Roman rule in their, in their church or their, their country, right? And so they were saying all this stuff pointed to Jesus like he, what did Jesus say when Pilate questioned him? This kingdom, or my, my kingdom is not of this world. My king, I'm the king of another Israel. That idea, I am the king of the Jews, it's, it's mockingly that Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, they said, mockingly, they said, this is the king of the Jews. What kind of king would die on a cross? And you and I look at that picture and say, my goodness, what kind of king would die on a cross for his people? The same people that reject him. Such a powerful picture. And Jesus is the king of Israel. And last but not least, in these last two verses, Jesus is the son of man, son of man. Jesus answered him, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you believe in me? Because I said that you'll see greater things than these. You just wait and see, buckle up because you're going to see a lot of things that are going to just just cause you to be disturbed by my glory. Verse 51, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, he said, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This picture of ascending and descending into heaven, what's that sound like? You Bible scholars, I just mentioned Jacob. Something happened in Bethel, Jacob's ladder, where he saw a ladder open up and angels ascending and descending. He is replacing Jesus speaking of himself as the son of man became. He is the ladder. 
He's not just describing the ladder. He is the ladder. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The access between heaven and man is Jesus. But when you say son of man, it's so significant that why did he say son of man? Jesus referred to him more as the son of man than any other title. Because he's identifying with his creation. The son of man, uh, it it points to his humanity. Jesus was 100% God, but Jesus was and is 100% 100 man. When he walked this earth, he wasn't, he didn't cease to become man to become God. He didn't cease to become God to become, he was both in one so that he could be born under our standard of law. Listen to what it says, Galatians 4. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't get to show you my cool ladder, all right? I'm not sure that's what it looked like. I wasn't there, but the ladder going in heaven. Look at what Galatians 4. Oh, that verse 2, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a, if you're born of a woman, you're a man, right? Born under the law. God is not subject to the law because he's God, But when God is born, he became flesh and dwelt. When he was born under our law, Jesus became subject to the law. Does that make sense? Right? The principal at Spring Valley High School, if you show up in the school, they can't say you have detention. Right? I'm I'm a 38-year-old dude. I'm not going to have detention. I'm just going to go now. Right? But if I become a student at Spring Valley High School, I hope I don't. But if I, not for the sake of Spring Valley, but I hope I'm beyond high school. But if you step into the school and I'm a student of the school, I'm accountable to their system of rule. If I do something wrong, I get detention, right? Jesus was, he he was born of a woman and came under the law because he was man, to redeem those who were under the law. Listen to how beautiful this is. You and I are born into this world a sinner. Every single person in this room, if you hear my voice there, if you're on the computer screen, you are born into this world a sinner. And it is a pretty helpless story until you hear about Jesus who was born under my same condemnation, born under my law. But he's the only person that has ever walked this world that has never failed the law in one point, but in all points was tempted like we are, but without sin. And because he was without sin, because of his divine nature, because who was his father? God was his father. So that we might receive the adoption of sons. I, I, I see this Jesus who was born not like us he became a man you think about a little embryo in the belly of mary being the eternal god that spoke the worlds into existence and that he grew and he grew in stature he grew in knowledge Right? And you come for, for 33 years, he comes to the end of his life, 33 maybe more, comes to the end of his life, he dies on a cross, he's buried, and a lot of people in this world think, yeah, Jesus was real, he existed, but you and I see this Jesus as the centerpiece of all humanity, that everything in past pointed to Jesus, and all of us are pointing back to Jesus, and we're all looking forward to being reunited with him because he was the son of man. And so as a, as a takeaway, uh, we see these disciples that are following. You see the John the Baptist following Jesus. You see Andrew running to get Peter saying, follow this guy. What did uh, other passages describe that? That 
Peter and Andrew, what they do? They dropped their nets and followed him. Philip and Nathaniel followed him. So I, I challenge you with this. If Jesus literally called you to drop what you're doing and follow him, would you? Because I want you to think about it. If Jesus showed up, walked down Canova, he's not going to, but he walked down the street in Canova, stopped by your house, knocked on the door and said, follow me. Would you drop what you were doing and follow him? I want you to digest that question and think honestly because I'm going to ask you another question. Jesus is literally calling you to drop what you're doing and follow him, so will you. The call to follow him is not something that happened with his disciples 2,000 years ago. It's to you today. He is calling. Will you follow? This is not a game. Life is not for you. Life is to bring him glory. And if you're living for any other purpose than bringing his glory, you're not experiencing life. You find life. The way I say it, you have life and you have something to live for when you're following Jesus. And so I challenge you that following Jesus is not just for the Jesus freaks, the sold out Christians. Following Jesus is the normal Christian life. It's just bare minimally, that's what a Christian does. It, he follows Jesus. So the call to you, will you follow Jesus? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, but if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, you know that you're not following Jesus with your life. And uh, maybe you might be fearful. I shared this last week at the other campus. You might be fearful that if I come out and follow Jesus, just radically follow Jesus, everybody will be like, oh my goodness, he's, he wasn't following Jesus all along. Who cares, first of all, what people think? But second of all, everybody in the room will rejoice if you say, I want to follow Jesus. Every person, nobody's going to say, oh my goodness, they weren't following Jesus. Did you hear Billy wasn't following Jesus all these? Who cares? We celebrate when God's at work in a person's life. So if the Spirit is drawing you, don't let the enemy distract you from following Christ. Come by faith. Make straight your paths. Come to a point of brokenness and repentance this morning.